Open the trade gates, baby! December 15th is officially here, meaning some of the biggest names in the NBA are officially trade eligible. And I could not think of a better guest to share the mic with today than Derek Bodner. We talk best and worst case scenarios for a Ben Simmons trade. What teams are actually realistic in a trade? Would Daryl Morey wait it out for something better next season? And are we worried about the Tyrese Maxey fit alongside Joel and the starting lineup? That and more right now on Locked On Sixers. You are Locked On 76ers, your daily Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Sixers. I am your host, Serena Winters, former Sixers sideline reporter, serving up content to Sixers fans. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Serena Winters. Thank you so much to everyone, by the way, who's been leaving five-star reviews and dropping questions in the review. If you have not heard, if you leave a five-star review and drop a question, I will make sure it gets answered on the podcast. We truly appreciate you for making Locked On 76ers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Plus, we've got great sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need, and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. It's showtime, baby! The clock has struck 12.01 a.m. Eastern on December 15th. The date, all GMs, basketball ops people have circled on their calendar as the majority of players that were signed in the offseason officially become eligible to be traded. And I could not be more excited about today's guest to help me break it all down. Joining me now to answer all of our Sixers questions and look. I will admit we've got a lot is Derek Bodner who has covered the Sixers for how many years now, Derek? Too many, um, too, many but not enough. too many, too many, but not enough. <laughs> it's sort of, sort of murky, right? Because I started um, with partial season credentials. I want to say back in 2010, I think my first full season was back in 2014, but it didn't become my full-time job until 2017. So you could add that all up however you want, but I've been around the team for a while. Over yeah. 10 years. Yeah. And Derek has worked for many different corporations, but he has recently launched a new Sixers newsletter called The Daily Six, which just let me tell you from personal experience, because I am a subscriber myself, it's a must subscribe for Sixers fans. Just, just do it. And what I would do if I were you is just go to Derek's Twitter account. It's at Derek Bodner MBA. He has a pinned tweet right up top. Just click on it. Do yourself a favor. It's going to give you all the info you need to know. But today we're in for a treat because whether you're a subscriber or not, we get to pick Derek's brain. And it's also a day that happens to be, I don't know, pretty important for the NBA because this is going live on December 15th. And guess what, Derek? You know, I put some questions out there. I had a mailbag going on my Instagram account, Twitter account, and I would say 90% of those questions had to do with who do you think? 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Ben Simmons. I don't think we've ever in Philadelphia talked about December 15th as much as we have now, uh, but we have gotten a crash course on what the December 15th deadline is. And maybe fans who did not know before know now that December 15th is the day that players that were signed in the offseason become eligible to be traded. Yes, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, that is the date. So I thought we would start here because obviously it is what fans are most interested in. Then I want to break down the team with you um, a little bit more specifically, but let's talk about Ben Simmons and trade scenarios in this way. I want to ask you best case scenario for a Ben Simmons trade, what that would be, what would be then an acceptable case scenario And what's a scenario, you know, worst case scenario, Ben Simmons trade. So let's start with best case scenario, Derek. What do you think the Sixers can get back? Well, I mean, the best case scenario is that Damian Lillard says, I've had enough, send me to Philadelphia. And that's really what it takes. It takes those two things. He has to say, I've had enough. And also I want to go to Philly. And then you have a real chance. Barring that, and I don't think that's going to happen, but that is like, if there's a 0.1% chance, I got to mention it. That is best case, sort of like semi-realistic. And I guess semi-realistic, we'll say a couple percent chance of happening. If Boston just continues to struggle, they've got a real tough month up ahead. And if they just come to the conclusion that, look, this whole thing with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum isn't working, let's make a drastic change. Boston has not been a franchise that has embraced drastic change, at least as it it, uh, comes to those two. Uh, They have changed around them, but they have resisted that for a very long time. But I think they do have, have interest in Ben Simmons. Uh, I think they mostly have interest in Ben Simmons from what I'm told to pair alongside Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And of course they don't have enough to trade to make that happen, but if they get completely desperate and look, like I said, 2%, 5%, I don't know what the chances of that happening. It's probably pretty low. That is probably about the best case you can hope for. And Jalen Brown's not a perfect player, but I think in terms of what you're talking about with a relatively distressed asset, like uh, Ben Simmons, I think he would certainly be intriguing. Realistic. I don't even truthfully know just because we haven't heard very many teams that are really looking to make wholesale changes right now. And sort of like the two that we have heard in Portland and Indy don't really have anything that would be all that interesting. I guess rather than giving a player for this, what I'll say is, is there someone like maybe a top 50 ish player? You can define that however you want who Daryl Morey would take in a trade if he's getting back two picks and maybe a swap or something of that sort. Because I think, I, I think Daryl Morey is very locked in, not locked in. Like that's the only thing he'll take, but I think he's very, um, you know, very much monitoring the situation in Portland. I think a lot of people, myself included, don't think Dame in Portland is a forever thing anymore. You just don't know whether or not he's going to want to move on in February or by February or whether that's going to be July or next year. So it, could Daryl say, look, we'll get a good player to help us with the stretch run. It's not as good of a player as we would want, but give us two picks and a young player, a pick and a young player, and we can try to make a second trade later down the line. That to me has always been the most interesting, interesting thing. I don't know if he would. He has to worry about managing Joel Embiid and his happiness and, and his ability to contend and what the fallout of that would be. Um, but I think that's where it gets a little bit interesting. Because you mentioned Dame in Portland. I mean, I'll just say my opinion on the matter, you know, I don't think Dame goes anywhere this season. No, I, I think that if he gets moved, it's has to do with money and with contracts and maybe not getting an extension that he wants to get. 
And at that point, maybe um, he's unhappy because of that. But being around Dame and covering the Blazers and knowing so many people that are around Dame, I don't think he is going anywhere unless he says, I'm out. And I can't see him saying, I'm out this season. No, I agree with you. I think the most interesting thing that has come out here in the last couple of weeks is that the possible extension, two-year extension he could sign this summer. Two years, I think it was $107 million when he would be 35 and 36 years old has become a point of contention between him and the franchise, which understandably, if you're Portland, you're not contending right now. You don't really have an obvious path to becoming a contender. You don't want to commit that kind of money to, uh, to, to really anyone, especially a short guard who could decline. So I think it's not surprising that that has become a point of contention. But if there was something that was going to break up that relationship, the contract, the extension, the um, prestige and the pride that comes with that extension is maybe the most viable candidate to break that up. So I agree with you. I think he's going to look at it right now and say, look, I'm going to give this new GM, whoever they end up hiring, time to make some moves at the deadline. I'm not sure how much they can move, especially with CJ's uncertainty. Um, I'm going to give him time to come to a decision about my contract extension in the summer. I think Dame has been very hesitant to ever force his way out or request a trade. I think he has a great sense of loyalty to that franchise and that fan base. But the, 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 the contract is the one wild card. Um, but I agree with you. If it does come into play, I think it's much more likely to come into play in the offseason than it is in the next two months. I want to bring up this quote from your newsletter, Derek, because Uh I loved it. No, I think it's great. I think it's one of the most true things I've read this week. You said, if there's one thing that can break loyalty faster than anything, it's not just money, but the respect that star players attribute to the money. And I don't think there's any truer statement that I've heard in the NBA about that. And I I love that take on it because we do talk about the money so much. And we're always talking about like, you know, but it's just 5% less. Like it's so much money. You know, why does it matter? It matters because of what you just said. It is about that respect. And there's so many egos in the NBA. And if it's not massage, just how it needs to be, right. Then it's seen as a sign of disrespect. And in Dame's case, He feels like he's done nothing but give respect to the organization. And so he wants that in return, right? Especially someone like Dane, like whatever, if you take 5% off the salary, he could go out there and and endorsements in any number of ways, make that back in a second. But it's, it's a sign of respect. It really is. And I think a lot of, a lot of players view it like that. I think a lot of people who are at the top of their profession view it like that. Um, And I do think it's something to watch. Like I said, if you're a Sixers fan though, I think it's probably unlikely to come into play in the next two months. Coming up, would the Indiana Pacers make a good trade partner for the Sixers? And if not them, then who? But first, have you heard me talk about my absolute favorite socks in my drawer? Because, hands down, stance. The most comfortable. As a matter of fact, I have them on my feet right now. And I get them almost every year for Christmas in my stocking. Yes, I do still get a stocking. Who does not? Love a stocking. And I always look forward to what stand socks I get. My favorite ones I have on again right now. They've got dogs and basketball ones on them. Yesterday, I finally broke out the Christmas socks. But look, the bottom line is they're just comfortable. You know you have those socks that 
Maybe you bought off, bought it like a, a knockoff store, and then your cheap socks in the back of your drawer, and then you've got like your elite socks. For me, that is Stance. I love them. Plus, they're pretty cool looking. So Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in, and those that feel good do good. So go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code locked on at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Thanks for making Locked On Sixers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Derek, would the Indiana Pacers be a good trade partner for Philly? Probably not. Um, you know, they've got three main pieces to move in Levert, Sabonis, and Turner. None of them are really ideal fits. Uh, Levert is a pretty bad outside uh, perimeter shooter. Uh, real ISO heavy. Doesn't really fit next to Joel Embiid. Sabonis is, I mean, big man, 4-5. Doesn't really like shooting from the outside. Needs the ball a lot in order to create for his teammates. And Turner's, I mean, you're, you'd put him in a sort of like supersized Al Horford role. And we, we he's a better we player right now that. than Al Horford, but we, we saw that movie already. Yeah, let's, let's not talk about putting yeah. somebody into the Al Horford role because uh, Sixers fans might throw their phone out the window if they're listening to this podcast. So the, the one guy that might've been interesting is Brogdon, but because he signed an extension before the season, he's not eligible to be traded. Correct. So I think that sort of crosses them out as a team who could trade uh, for Ben Simmons. I think where they could become interesting, because I think they have a couple of players who the league values and who would have value in a trade, just less value to the Sixers, is when you start getting into three or 14 permutations. Uh, I think they have, I mean, they have significant talent, significant um, salary to trade. So I think they could play a part, but I don't think they're going to be like the team. You mentioned, you know, multi-team trades, which is probably more realistic in these scenarios. And Sham Sharania of The Athletic, he always likes to stir the pot, which is great. He's always putting out the teams out there that could potentially have interest, giving us something to talk about, right? And the most recent one, he said, were Knicks, Lakers, Timberwolves, Blazers, Kings, Pacers, and Cavaliers, all teams mentioned that have interest in Simmons. Obviously, we don't know if any type of trade is imminent. All Shams knows is that sources have told him they're interested in Ben. When you hear me just roll off those teams off the tongue, is there anyone that stands out, if any, that's like, okay, I could actually see them being a realistic trade partner? Yeah, I mean, so a couple of those teams are teams I think we've been hearing for most of this process. Certainly, when you start talking about the Kings, the Cavs, um, the Blazers, and the Wolves, I think they've been sort of mentioned throughout. You know, I think the Cavs could have been mildly interesting as a part of a multi-team trade if Colin Sexton wasn't injured, but he's out yep. for the year. So that really, I think, strikes them off of uh, that list. You know, the Kings have been adamant that they're not going to trade Fox or Halliburton. They will trade Buddy Heald. Sure. <laughs> Sure. I don't think that's going to quite get it done. And the Kings are now, I mean, what are the Kings like 11 and 17? They're not exactly off to a great start. Awful. Um, Yeah. So like, will they reassess that? You know, Halliburton's, I don't think lived up to what their expectations were. Uh, I don't think he's he's lived up enough to be a centerpiece of a trade. I like him a lot, but I think, I don't think he's lived up and I don't think the team has lived up. Um, You know, I think the team that has had the most consistent interest in Ben Simmons is Minnesota. 
but again, they're another team where they just don't have enough to trade that would really tempt Daryl Morey. So no, I think of all of those teams, there's not really one that stands out as being realistic. Uh, I think it, I think it would have to be a multi-team trade where they are. I mean, Benson's might go there. Like when you talk about a team like Minnesota, I think they have enough interest where they might end up moving enough young players and assets to make it happen. But you have to get a third team involved that would have the kind of, of player. And Daryl Morey keeps saying, well, reports say Daryl Morey keeps saying top 25, top 30. Uh, whatever that ends up being, whatever he settles at, you have to find a team that has a player of that caliber to become available. And then maybe you could loop Minnesota in to get them involved. But no, I don't look at any of those teams right now and say, that's a team that has a player that will satisfy what Daryl Morey is looking for. If you could draw up your ideal player to fit alongside Joel Embiid hmm. right now to bring this team into seriously contending for a championship. So I don't want you to give me a name of player. I want you to draw, draw him up for me. Give me his skill set. What uh, does he look like? I mean, I think you need a little bit of off-ball movement. Uh, I think that has always been the player that has has thrived the most with Joel Embiid, whether that's J.J. Redick, Marco Bellinelli, Seth Curry. Um, so I think somebody with that skill set, but a little more size and a little more creation. I mean, honestly, it, it's probably a if you're talking about like perfect fit. Well, I mean, you just go for the best player. You would say Kevin Durant, but that's he's the best fit with like everyone. Um, <laughs> someone like Clay Thompson, skill set wise, I think is a perfect fit um, because he can play that off ball game. He can spread the floor. Uh, he can not only hold his own, he can be an, a great defender um, and he can create a little bit like someone with that skill set. Uh, but really, I think you're looking and, and it's a shame because I think we've always sort of had this chicken and egg game where you're just not sure whether or not Joel Embiid is not a good role man because he's never had a point guard to play that style of play with or he's just not it's not really in his skill set or his comfort zone. Um, ideally, you would want somebody, I mean, like a Lillard, like a Harden, somebody who can create at the end of a game and in a playoff series. Uh, at a high rate, and, and not only for himself, but for his teammates, for Embiid, getting Embiid, Embiid some easy buckets because Embiid has to like self create so much. Huh? He, he yeah, yeah. Uh, with a little more oh, shooting. Did the yeah. Sixers have him at one point? Yeah, um, but I think you need somebody of that skill set. Um, so even if that's not a perfect fit with Embiid, I think that's still the target. Um, but the problem is, I mean, those players tend to be ex- exceptionally valued. Um, if you start settling on those, you start getting the players who look like they're close to. Um, Tyrese Maxey's tier, or at least if they're not a huge upgrade, do you start prioritizing another skill set? Do you think that there is a certain type, certain style rather, of NBA player that maybe wouldn't want to play with Joel in his skill set? I mean, is that a legitimate question? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly another center, just strike them off the list. And teams don't play two big men anymore, so cross that one off. Uh, but outside of the obvious, you know, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty. Um, you know, I think Joel Embiid has never really played with a ball-dominant guard like that. And so few teams play a post-up center nowadays that there might be some players who would have that sort of question. I don't think necessarily that Joel Embiid can't. Although it gets tough if that, that guard isn't a shooter. But I think there's just uncertainty there around it because we've never seen it outside of a, a brief couple of months with Jimmy Butler, who's not really a traditional sort of like pick and roll shot creation guard. Sure. Um, we've, we've just never, I've never seen it even a little bit. Um, but I think that would be the archetype where you just, you just don't know there's uncertainty. Do you think that there is any chance that Daryl Morey actually goes through with what he oh, said 
I know where you're going. <laughs> you know I hope exactly not. where I'm I going. I hope not. You know exactly Selfishly, where I'm going. So, yeah. For those that might not know where I'm going, it's, you know, Daryl Morey said that he was willing to wait, that this could be a years long process um, to find a Ben Simmons trade partner. Now, look, GMs, presidents of basketball ops, whatever you want to call them, they're all different now in teams. They're all going to say things. They just are. Doesn't mean that they're true. Um, But Joel Embiid only has so much time left in his prime, Derek. I mean, two years, definitely. Maybe three in, in prime Joe form. So do you think that there's any chance that Maury would, in essence, I don't like to use the word waste, but it kind of is waste the rest of this year to wait out what he could get next year. Cause for Dame little for Dame as an example, right? You and I both think that nothing's happening with him this season, but if Daryl thought that he could seriously get him the following year, he'd have to wait. Sure. You're killing me, Serena. I'm sorry. You're killing That's me. what I do. But for those that don't know, Serena is Serena in Australian. Just a FYI. You, you need to explain it now. You can't just say it. You got to explain what happens. You can't just call me Serena without an explanation. Well, I, think, I think the Australian explains it, right? I mean, how many Australian people do we have in our lives? Just one. Yeah. Just, just one. one. Yes, Brett Brown did call me Serena on time, on, on occasion. And on occasion, yeah. Bodner, um, you know, has really taken a liking to it. So would he wait? I don't, I guess it depends on, on what the offers are out there. I mean, for the most part, I think he's saying what he had, because if he comes out and he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm being stubborn now. I'm going to hold Ben until a trade deadline, but that trade deadline, we're taking whatever we can get for him. Like that's not going to help his leverage. He can't say that. If you're going to hold him until the deadline, you have to be um, willing to convince people that that's not actually a hard deadline for you. Will he actually, I I'm going to go back to my original. I hope not. Um, (laughs) You know, I do think he has to worry about wasting a year of Joel Embiid's prime. Not Mm -hmm. so much from a building a team standpoint, because I mean, ultimately he has to nail this trade. Um, This is, they don't have very many avenues left to get a really good all-star caliber player to pair alongside Joel Embiid. They've spent most of the chances that they had. So he has to, get the most out of this trade. I don't think it like, I think people think he's like, Oh, I've, I'm stubborn and I've got to win a trade. No, I think he realizes this is a crucial decision in trying to build a championship caliber team. But if you piss Joel Embiid off enough, that could ruin your franchise. And Joel Embiid has not gotten out of the second round. He's, you know, what near five now. Um, I think he wants to contend. And I think he understands that you never know how much time you have left. And he's gotten close enough where I think it's really on his mind. But the question comes down to like, if they only get like a marginal asset or if they get somebody who they think if they have to flip in the summer is worth less than holding on to Ben, it really dives into hypotheticals because I think a lot of it depends on the player they're getting back, how many picks they're getting back, what other assets they're getting back. Um, I think if he can get a, a you know, obviously, I think he's probably going to have to come down off that top 25, top 30 target. I think he probably understands that. It's like negotiation. You don't start off being honest to the media about what you actually want or what your cutoff is. But if, if, if how far will he drop? Um, I, think, I think he has to consider it. 
Um, I my gut tells me I think he's going to make a trade here in the next two months. Next but I think if there was one GM who w- might push that boundary, because I think I think almost every GM would make a trade here in the next two months, because it, it it's it's a huge risk not to, and your coach might lose his mind, and your star player might lose his mind, and none of those things are necessarily good. But if there's one GM who might push it, um, Daryl is certainly in the top tier of stubbornness. But no, my my gut tells me he will take the best offer he can as long as it's reasonable. Let me tell you about Bet Online AG. They've got you covered all season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football season continues, the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. I'm curious how some of their futures that they have, their odds change during this trade deadline time. As trade season heats up, look for those odds to change. That's always fun to look at. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. You've heard me. Talk about Built Bar because they are delicious, keep me fueled, keep me healthy, give me my protein, and there's just so many flavors. They're high in protein, low in calories, low in sugar, low in net carbs, and low in fat, but they still give you that extra fuel. And when you get sick of one flavor, they've got another, so you might have a hard time choosing. So if you're like me, Either just get a bunch of different flavors or get one of their cool mystery boxes. Maybe you're feeling mint brownie like I was this morning. Yesterday, I liked the cookies and cream. But whatever your case, check it out. If you like some of those marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on some Built Bar Puffs. Yeah, I said it. Built Bar Puffs. What is that? That's right. Go check it out. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Derek, we are finally going to talk about this current team. I am going to stop talking to you about Ben Simmons trade talks because there's actually a lot of interesting storylines to this team right now, even though we don't know what it's going to look like in a couple of months. and. The first kind of overall question I want to ask you, because I know that you do a lot of stats work, deep dives. I do as well. I find it interesting. And sometimes it's stats are very indicative of where teams are at. And sometimes you spend hours and then you realize, you know, these stats don't actually, they don't really mean much. So when you look at where the Sixers are at right now, what stats have you seen that you think are most indicative of where this team is at. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think mostly, so I, there's a couple, um, certainly they're rebounding. I don't know yep. exactly where it is, but they're rebounding rate. And I think when we start talking about stats, like a lot of times people look at advanced stats and their eyes glaze over. Like a lot of times it's normalizing for possessions or rates or things like that. Their rebounding rate. I think they're like last in the league and offense rebounding and, towards the bottom in defensive rebounding. I think that's indicative of a team that just doesn't have a whole lot of size around Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. And I think you could look at their defense, which is 
bottom 10, I think, right now, which is stunning to say. I've never said that in the Joel Embiid era. Right. Part of that is that Joel Embiid has missed, you know, maybe 40% of the games. Um, and part of that is this team just cannot compete because of their size when Joel Embiid's not there to erase almost every flaw that they have. So you start looking at it, and I think when I, when I uh, especially when you ask about indicative of the team, those ones that point to their size, like rebounding defense, um, I think that's probably the biggest one I'd point out because it, it brings up, well, can Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry play together? And when you, when you start trying to build a championship team, can they be the starting backcourt of a championship team? And I do have my questions about that, but it's also like every non-Joel Embiid, non-Drummond player on his team is a pretty bad rebounder. Uh, they're slow. They're undersized. Um, so I think those are probably the ones that probably tell a story of the team the most. Because you mentioned just now the Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry. I mean, look, it's no secret that a very common storyline of this team to start the season is Tyrese Maxey, what he does on the court with Joel and what he does off the court without Joel. And I'm curious from your perspective, do you see this as something where, hey, with time and with development, this is something that can work on the floor? Or do you see this as something as, you know what? You look at Maxi's strengths, you see where he thrives, and that's really been in the units coming off the bench with guys that aren't Joel Embiid. And that's where he is at his best. That is always where he will be at his best. And so it makes sense maybe to stagger minutes more for him. I'm not saying don't start him. I mean, if the Sixers make a trade, then I would. I might say don't start him and have him come off the bench. But as of right now, you know, I wouldn't say don't start him. I'm just saying, is it a situation where it would make more sense to stagger his minutes in lineups without Joel Embiid because he's clearly a different player in those lineups where he's on the floor? Yeah. And I'm to your point, when he plays alongside in lineups alongside Joel Embiid, he's averaging 17.7 points per 100 possessions compared to 29 and a half when he's playing without Joel Embiid. It's huge. And he's shooting about 6% less from the field. So he's, he's not only scoring less, but he's less efficient. You know, I think this is certainly something where over time, he can get better playing alongside Joel Embiid. You know, I think part of the problem right now is he's just not comfortable. I think he's made a lot of progress in his pull-up shooting. And I think that's great to see. I think that's important for his own individual offense. But I think he struggles a little bit in terms of his confidence shooting off the catch. And there's a hesitation, a jab step. I think he wants to drive the ball. Because of that, I don't think they entirely know what, they want to do with him when Joel Embiid's posting up. And I think he's uncomfortable a little bit in that offense. So I think, I think over time, like he's, I think he's just turned what, like 21, he will get better as a catch and shoot player. I think the work ethic and the form is there enough for that, but it's just not there right now. You know, I think Joel Embiid has to get a little better as a role man, because I think one of the ways that Joel Embiid, we talk a lot about gravity with shooters, but big men have gravity too, when they're rolling the basket. And I think when Tyrese Max comes off the pick and roll with, say Andre Drummond or even Charles Bassey, who all they want to do is roll to the rim. They can bring a defender with them, create a driving lane for Tyrese Maxey. I think that helps him a lot. Joel Embiid just wants to pick and pop. Right. And defenders will help off Joel Embiid on the perimeter still. He's not automatic enough. He's not automatic enough to take the shot. I think Joel Embiid can help Tyrese Maxey more in terms of his own individual offense if he becomes a better role man. Um but I think there's always going to be a little bit like you're not going to maximize Tyrese Maxey posting up Joel Embiid as much as you do. And that's fine because you're not, the goal isn't to maximize Tyrese Maxey. He just has to become a little more effective and comfortable off the ball. So he's not quite as out of position. So I think I agree with you. First of all, I think they play something like if Tyrese Maxey plays like 34 minutes per game or whatever he's playing 32. I don't, 
I shouldn't know that. I don't. 27 of those are with Joel Embiid. So I think you can more aggressively stagger them. You know, I think that uh, Doc Rivers likes having his bench unit and likes letting that group play and lets, let, uh, likes letting Shake Milton lead that bench unit. I would stagger them more, play Maxi and Embiid, you know, 16 to 20 minutes per game together, you know, maybe five minutes to start the game in the third quarter, end the game, end the half. But other than that, I would try to stagger them. Let uh, Tyrese Maxey sort of in his comfort zone to be more effective player. And I think the one drawback to that is if you want to put them on the court as much as possible to develop them and develop that chemistry. Well, if Tyrese Maxey is a little more confident, maybe you can, maybe he can be a little more uh, assertive when he's on the court with Joel as well. So I think, I think I agree with you. I would stagger them a little bit more. I think there's always going to be a little bit of, I don't want to say friction, but I don't necessarily think you're going to maximize. I, I think Mac, Maxey will always be a little more aggressive when Joel Embiid's off the floor, which is fine. You just need to get him a little better as an off-ball player. When I watch, it seems like Utah or, you know, Jordan Clarkson or old school, old school Lou Williams, for some reason, I kind of think of Maxi. I think like I could see Maxi in that role, you know, later yeah. on in his career as just kind of being that automatic guy off the bench. I just kind of can see that fitting for him. Is that something that you agree with or not really? Well, he's, he's interesting because he is a little bit like when you start looking at it and say, what's Tyrese Max's role on a championship team? Um, it's hard to sort of put him into a bucket because he doesn't have, he doesn't have, you know, sort of like point guard court vision. Um, and I do worry a little bit whether or not that can uh, be developed. Like he just doesn't have sort of like the instincts and the creativity that some of the top flight passers have. I think he's great at not turning the ball over, which is important, especially in a microwave score type role. But I'm not sure how much that is going to improve over time. But it's also tough to put a more natural, pure passing point guard next to him because he's so short, because his defense uh, would become a concern there, and also because he's not a great off-ball shooter. So I think he certainly has a little bit of the archetype of a off-the-bench, six-man microwave, probably one of the best in the league scorers. I also worry a little bit, he just might be too talented to put in that role. Um, And if you put him there, he might eventually get frustrated. Mm -hmm. He might think he deserves more because he probably does. Um, and you might not be maximizing him too. He's a, he's a little bit of a tough fit if he doesn't grow a little bit as an off-ball player, off-ball shooter, or as a uh, passer, um, or just get a little bit better defensively. But I think there's a little bit of a, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a limit there because his size is always going to be a uh, detriment. All good points. On the other side of the spectrum, somebody that's maybe not been maximizing, let's say, their potential this season what is your take, Derek, on Tobias Harris this season? I mean, I think Tobias Harris is mostly who Tobias Harris is. And he will have some years where he makes shots at a disproportionately high rate and people will think he changed who he was and think he grew as a player. And then he'll have some years, and I think this is one of them, where he'll shoot under his yearly percentages and we'll all freak out. But I think when you when you take a step back and you look at mostly his profile, it remains relatively consistent. Um, he's going to want to, you know, shoot over people in that mid range. He's going to want to take mismatches in the post. He's going to hesitate on threes. He's never really been comfortable as a setup man. He's never been comfortable getting the free throw line. And when he's making those tough shots at a high rate, he's going to look real good doing it. And when he's not, he's going to frustrate the ever living heck out of you. And I think that's sort of who Tobias Harris is as a player. Uh, I do think we react to his ups and downs a little bit too much. 
Probably because um, of mon- the amount of money he's making, right? At the well, end of sure. The day. But I think also like last year, I think we reacted to his ups too much. I don't think he redefined who he was as a player last year. I think he just made a lot of really tough long twos and more threes than he normally does. So then um, maybe it's our expectations. Our expectations are too high. Yeah. Which, look, I get why it's frustrating. I get 100% why it's frustrating. But to me, the frustration came from the fact they made that trade and gave him that contract. He is who he is, um, which is kind of just another guy. I think for me watching a game where Joel Embiid is out, Seth Curry is out. Yeah. That's a game where I go, all right, this is Tobias Harris's game. Like just, just take it over. You know, look like you're the best player on the court. Um, especially because you thought you deserved to be an all-star last year. Right. And so I think of that and I want that for Tobias. Like I, I want him to be that best player when Joe and Seth aren't out there. Um, but it goes back to that question. Is that expectation not realistic? Yeah, I, I, I would think, it, think that's kind of a realistic expectation. I mean, I, I would probably say unrealistic, but I, I've always kind of been on the, if you're talking about a spectrum, I've probably been on the hater edge of the spectrum for Tobias. Uh, I just don't think he's quite that good to ramp up his usage like that. And I think he really hurts. You know, he has had moments last year when Joel Embiid was out in the spring, he had moments where he was playing really well. I do think he misses uh, Ben Simmons quite a bit. You know, I think Tobias, especially as a sort of like a hesitant outside shooter and someone who needs a driving lane sort of created for him. I think Ben getting him out in transition helped him a lot. Mm. It gave him that extra time to get that three off. It gave him some driving lanes against an unset defense. And without Ben there to push the pace and, and, and the tempo, I think that's hurt Tobias quite a bit. Tobias did a lot of his damage there. Last year, not necessarily in transition, but an early offense when the defense wasn't entirely set, when they were still scrambling back. Uh, if you go back and look, I don't have the stats in front of me, um, but like his, his, his effectiveness in the first, and no, this is true for everyone, but he had an outsized difference. He scored more points in the first eight seconds of the shot clock than he had in prior years. I think part of that is Ben Simmons getting them out in transition. And I think he benefited maybe more than anyone. So I think, uh, I think he, in prior years, I think he was maybe a little more capable of stepping up when Joel Embiid was out. And I think now he's struggling to be the, you know, the primary guy. All great points, Derek, like you usually do have. And for those out there again, Derek Bodner has a great newsletter, the daily six. I could talk to him all day. I have like a solid 20 more questions that I could have asked him, but our time is coming up to a close. I got to tell everybody listening. I got the founders founding members discount for the daily six podcast, which I basically feel like I'm just stealing from you at this point, Derek, but Hey, if you're willing to give it to me, I'd be stupid not to take it. Right. I mean, kind of like Tobias, like you'd be stupid not to take that deal. Right. <laughs> uh, look, take I, that deal. Somebody offers me Tobias's contract. I'm signing it in a right? second. I can't, I can barely play basketball. Right. Um, right. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And like what you're referencing there, it's a $24 a year uh, rate that will always be $24 a year. It's not like a one year discount. Um, keeping it at a flat rate uh, to try to entice people to sign up here early. Um, Daily6.com. Like I said, I try to take, uh, I think my primary goal, what I would say is um, I'm trying to sort of like provide context for you as a basketball fan. That might be analytics. That might be collective bargaining agreement related. That might be reporting related. But I'm trying to focus a little bit less on maybe breaking news or, or in-depth features or writing exposés and a little more of just sort of enhancing your experience as a fan is the way I would sort of say it. Well, I can tell you that I've read all the newsletters so far. I think you've done that. And I am definitely looking forward. You're just saying that because I linked your podcast. You did? Oh, yeah, I did. 
someone tweeted at me and told me that you linked to it. And you know, well, yeah, I, I did that so that then you would talk nice about my. So it worked. But it here's worked. the thing: is Sales I had pitch. already I had already asked you to be a guest before <laughs> you, you did, did that, you did. and. On the podcast I did two days ago, I shouted you out and you probably okay. didn't even know. So it was like, look at us, just multiple shout outs to each other. The great thing about like Sixers reporters is honestly, the reporters, the media members, they're all really good people and they do they a are. really, really, they really are. good job. Everybody's and what I would say is, way. so I, I think there are some people um, who this is a job, some people who this is a passion. And then there are very few people, not very few, but there are some people who this is both. And you could tell right from the moment that you came that that was both for you. Uh, always respected the passion you had for the game and the work that you put in. So I uh, props right back at you for sure. I appreciate you. Someone tweeted at me, by the way, and said, uh, don't let Derek challenge you to a basketball game because apparently he's really feisty with uh, media members. And I will just say I will challenge you any day to a basketball game, but you better watch out for my invincible elbows because you don't know when they're coming. And uh, I was known to be very feisty on the block back in the day. I would not say I'm super feisty. I'm pretty <laughs> chill, but there was another podcast who challenged me. So we just, respect. Oh. if you're going to challenge me, yes, I will take you up on that. I'm very confident in my ability in that regard. Um, but in terms of just regular, no, I'm not feisty. I'm not looking to play everyone on the media circuit. Uh, just, just that one. Derek, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yep, my pleasure. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sixers. Thanks for making Locked On Sixers your first listen every day. How about you make Locked On Bets your second listen? You know the drill. We'll see you tomorrow.